Well, hello to all of our campuses. I'm Pastor Tim, and if you have not believed what I've been telling you each week, that our church is made up of imperfect people, hopefully that email will convince you. I actually got that email from a young woman in our congregation. She sent it to me uh, just the other week via Facebook, and it was interesting because I asked her if I could share it with you for our final message of our current series, Identity Theft. And uh, we've spent the past month looking at really how the enemy of our souls specializes in robbing our identity in Christ. And one of the more shattering ways that he does that is when a person whom we love or trust betrays us. When they hurt us in the worst way. And our world is a broken world. It is full of broken people. And hurt is a fact of life. I mean, how would you feel if you were the one who was engaged to be married in just three months and your fiancé cheated on you. I mean, you'd be shattered. And she was. And uh, she felt very torn. In fact, I like how she was very honest when she wrote. She said, I knew before that I had to forgive him. And I kept thinking I had. But then found what? Bitterness creeping up again. In the wake of being hurt and betrayed, my friend was faced with a choice. Would she actually muster the strength to forgive her fiancé? Or would she be bound by bitterness? The truth is, how she responds to this major betrayal in her life will do more to affect her spiritual identity in the years to come than anything else. That's the truth of it. Because how we handle or how we ever mishandle our hurts, the wrong things that are done to us, really determines whether we're going to live in freedom or in a prison of pity, bound by bitterness. All of our campuses, let's take our Bibles. You have them in your chairs online. Open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 12. That's on page 835. We're going to look at verse 15 to get to the heart of the issue. Hebrews 12 verse 15 reads, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that what? No bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Has anybody ever seen a bitter root? Who knows what this looks like? Who knows what kind of root this is? This actually is a, a bitter root. This is actually kind of a, from the beet family. You can kind of see its long tendrils here. But a root is something that grows underground and is unseen. We only see the top here. But it grows underneath. It's invisible to the naked eye. And it works its way into the soil of your heart. And the writer of Hebrews is really saying that when people hurt us, when we are wounded or sinned against, bitterness naturally begins to take root in our heart. And the idea is that an unforgiven wrong in your life literally works in a subterranean way that you can't see until it actually begins rooting within the soil of your heart and poisons it. Think of it this way. Uh, Colleen and I, we repaired our front porch this past summer. And to do that, we first had to kind of clean up the yard all around it and everything. And uh, and I quite honestly, I'm not into landscaping. So, you know, we had like the, the trees leave those little pods and there's little saplings grow up all over your yard. So I had to dig up these small little saplings that had grown up around our porch. So I go out there with a hoe. I dig them up there. I cut them off at the base, pull up the stump. And I figured that's that, right? And so we, we put our new porch in. Well, surprise, two weeks later, guess what happens? They begin growing, but not in the same spot. About five feet over to the left, they begin poking up through the cement in our new porch. And I was like, what the heck is going on here? They were actually beginning to crack the foundation of our new porch. Why? I had never ripped the root system out. Although I addressed the surface issue, they were growing in a way underneath, and they just came up at a later time in a different place. And the point is this. Whenever we are wronged or hurt in life... Oftentimes, we never admit how deeply the hurt goes. 
towards the person who harmed us. I mean, we may admit we're kind of upset by something somebody did, or, but we're unaware of how deeply those roots of unforgiveness tendril down in our lives because they're invisible to us. We don't see them until they sprout up and cause trouble later on. That's why literally scripture says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that what? No bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. If I were to ask you, towards whom or what are you possibly bitter today, what would you answer? To whom or what do you possibly have some some unforgiveness in your heart. I mean, who comes to mind? I mean, maybe it's a person, maybe it's an event, maybe something happened or somebody did something to you. But who are you bitter at? Maybe it's an ex. Breakups are the most common form of bitterness, I think. Uh, marriage or maybe there was a relationship fell apart. You were hurt badly, let's say, in the, in, in the process and you're still bitter. You know, people are like, well, you know, you got to move on. And sometimes the reality is the roots run so deep and they're so, too painful to dig up, but they're still there. Or maybe a friend betrayed you. Maybe you needed them in your hour of need and your vulnerability. And they actually ditched you and kind of moved on when things got messy. Maybe, maybe you're bitter towards a friend. Or, or a boss. Let's say you got a, maybe you got a bad review. There's somebody at work, right? Or they let you go. Or a business partner kind of, kind of duped you and you're bitter about it. Things went south. Or a colleague got the promotion over you and you're bitter. Sometimes we're bitter about things done to us. And sometimes, in fact, we're bitter about things that simply haven't happened. That were part of our dream that we wish would have happened to us. Maybe you're bitter about being single. Maybe you want to be married. You've been saving yourself. You've been waiting for God to bring along Mr. or Mrs. Right into your life. But it hasn't happened. And you know what? You're bitter. You're bitter at God. Or you're bitter at all guys. Maybe your dream was to have kids and to start a family. That was your dream, and it hasn't happened for you. And you see people all around you who have no business even being parents in your estimation, having no problem having kids and children and babies. And you know what? You're bitter. Sometimes they're hurts done to us. Sometimes they're things that haven't happened. Bitter are other bitters at God. Bitterness, according to Scripture, is a root Sometimes we're not even aware it's there unless we do a little digging. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do today. I'm going to ask you to kind of dig around in your heart, in your mind, for the person or the persons to whom you potentially harbor some hidden bitterness. Just the thought of their face maybe gets you a little upset inside. I was thinking about it this week, and I know who it is for me because I don't, I don't, I'm not a guy who nurses grudges a whole lot, but there was a, guy, a friend of mine who we had a falling out a few years ago. And, uh, and, and we, we just, we've lost touch. But last we spoke, I knew he was working at a restaurant. And just last week, Colin was like, hey, let's go meet some friends for dinner. And then she, and she named, she said, why don't you make dinner reservations at blah, blah, blah. The restaurant where I knew he worked from a couple years ago. And suddenly this nausea began rising up. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know. She's like, it's about halfway. What's the big deal? I was like, uh, she's like, call, make reservations. So I called there, and I go, hi, I'm calling to make dinner reservations. Sure, like, sure, what time? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Is David working tonight? <laughs> I'm like holding my breath, like, and they're like, David, David who? And I was just like, I, I just, uh, I don't, you know, I'm ready to hang up. And literally they're like, oh, you mean David? And they're like, he hasn't worked here for a couple years. He, he left like, I'm like, okay, you can make it for 7.30. You know? I know that there's something in there with that guy that still raises up in me. Those roots are still down in there. That's how I know there's a root. Who is that for you? Don't call out their name, but I want you to call them to mind as we work through this today, because outwardly you can't see it, but maybe subterranean the roots are still there. Because here's the truth. 
Like my friend who was betrayed by her fiancé, you have a choice. You can stay bound by bitterness and nurse a grudge, hold on to resentment. But the Bible says that if you allow that to take root, watch out. Because it will grow up and cause trouble and defile many. By now you have probably heard the story of the Long Island surgeon who is suing his estranged wife for the kidney that he donated to her. Did you see this? Did you catch this? I mean, early in their marriage, this guy gave his kidney to save his wife's life. But now they're going through a what? A, a bitter what? Divorce. And now he's like, I want my kidney back. <laughs> and if she can't return it, he wants $1.5 million that he says it's worth. And that's crazy. What's crazy to me is as I watch this, this isn't like a Jerry Springer couple. He's a surgeon. He's a well-respected surgeon. It's like, what would cause this guy to lose his mind? Bitterness. Bitter root coming up and taking over. We all know people who are bitter. Ticked off the world. Angry, distant, kind of cynical. You have to walk around on eggshells. Or, or maybe they're just oversensitive. They're distrustful of others. See, when bitterness hacks into your life, guys, it hijacks your identity like nothing else. That's why the alternative that Scripture presents in Ephesians 4, the Bible gives this great counsel. Let's read this together. All of our campuses, big, round voice. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Translation, you got to rip up the roots. You got to do some hard digging and actually be willing to unearth it and release it and forgive. And let's just be honest here for a minute. That is easier said than done. Yeah? I mean, in the case of a young woman betrayed by her fiancé, she acknowledged, she said, I know before that I had to forgive him, and I kept thinking I had, but what? Bitterness kept creeping up again. How do you rip up a bitter root in your life? I mean, how do we truly forgive? Let me tell you a story. Better yet, let Jesus tell the story to us. Would you flip over to Matthew 18? This is in the Gospels. It is the first uh, Gospel, first book of the New Testament, page 683 in your Bibles. If you're on an internet campus, by the way, just ask for one of our next step kits and we'll be happy to send you one. You can follow along with us each week. But Matthew 18, we'll look at verses 21 through 35. Jesus was always telling stories to shed the light on the truth and show people that there was a way to live forgiven, full, free, and as forgiving children of God. And here he tells a story about bitterness in response to a question the disciple Peter asks him. Look at this. Verse 21 says this. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then he tells a story. Look at this, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, and you can look, do you see on your footnotes there? It just literally, it says millions of dollars, okay, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me and I'll pay back everything. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and what? Let him go. Now watch this. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And if you look in the footnote there, it says what? A few dollars. He grabbed him and began to choke him. <laughs> 
Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. Same plea. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, when the other servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in and he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus ends his story with one of the most disturbing verses in all of scripture. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from where? From your heart. In this parable, Jesus reveals that forgiveness is not only central to being a follower of Christ, but he also teaches us how to rip up a root of bitterness for good in our own life so that it doesn't lock us in a prison and steal our identity. If you're taking notes, I want to highlight three steps for you in this parable that Jesus kind of highlights to how do we forgive from our heart as Christ forgave us. And as we go through these, would you keep in mind the person you were thinking about earlier? Just think about them for a minute, kind of as we process through this, that maybe you're harboring a little bit of bitterness. See, when someone hurts or wounds us, Jesus says the first thing we have to do is we decline payback and revenge. We decline payback. In, in Jesus' story, of course, the twist is that the servant is forgiven this like crazy, outrageous sum by his master, millions of bucks. And then he walks in the street and bumps into a buddy who owes him a few bucks. And he begins to do what? He begins to choke and pay back what you owe me, you good for nothing. Payback is the most natural response when we're hurt. It is. It's natural. It's our impulse. It's instinctive. When we get hurt, we want the people who hurt us to know how much that hurt and we want to inflict a little pain so they can understand what they did. We say, you owe me for what you did and now you're going to pay. And so we plan and plot and scheme and, and dream about it, what that's going to be like to teach them that lesson. Probably my favorite example of this past year to this is something that actually happened on Craigslist. I don't know if you saw this. A 28-year-old woman named Nicole Blackwell. She had a long-running feud with her aunt, kind of like a family squabble. And so to get back at her aunt, to get revenge, she posted an ad on Craigslist telling people to come to her aunt's house in Tacoma, Washington. And she wrote on the ad, she said, take what you want. I'm moving. Everything is free. Please help yourself to anything on the property. Here's the result. They literally stripped her aunt's house from wall to baseboard. They ripped off the front door. They even ranked out the kitchen sink. In two hours, all these Craigslisters came on it like locusts. Amazing. Why? Because she just wanted payback for her aunt, who's been rude to me for the last five years. Vengeance. The hot desire to get even. Now look, we've all had fantasies about what we wish we could do to the people who hurt us. And if it's not physical, we, we, we have wishes about what we could say to them. Maybe I could, you know, rip the, tear them apart with our words. You think, oh, how sweet that would be if I could expose them and give them a taste of what they did to me. Job 5.2 sheds some light on this. All of our campuses, let's read this verse aloud. It says this, it says, resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. That word resentment is very interesting there. You see the prefix re, that means like again. And you see the word here, the root word is what? Sentiment. That's where we get our word sentiment or feeling. In other words, resentment means to re-feel over and over and over again. It's like picking a scab. 
In other words, when we demand payback, we can't let it go. We're picking the scab off a wound over and over and we feel it again. We have any scab pickers here? Anyone who's world-class yeah, scab pickers, okay? I've known people who were hurt 20 or 30 years ago and they just keep getting hurt and hurt again because they keep reliving the past, picking the scab and hanging on to what? Bitterness towards the person who wronged them. And so you have to avoid certain places because, you know, she might be there. Or, or you're having a casual conversation, then his name comes up. Oh boy, all right. And you tense up. <laughs> and it all comes flooding back to you. That's how you know if you have a bitter root buried in the soil of your heart. Because just the, the slightest mention or reference or memory or like a photo or a song and, and it picks the scab and all the feelings of the original hurt come rushing back like that. You know what happens when you hold on to your hurt? When you carry resentment around long enough? You become a very, very angry person. Unresolved anger is what feeds the root of bitterness. Pay back what you owe me! When we demand payback from those who have hurt us, bad things happen. Because anger, quite honestly, has a way of twisting us on the inside. Did you know this? This is fascinating. You guys know I was a former English teacher. Just track me. I thought this is fascinating. Our English word, wrath, that's our English word for anger, right? It comes from the Anglo-Saxon word for the word wreath. Now, we just had Christmas. We're like, oh, cheery, wreath. No. You know what wreath literally means? It means to twist or bend. So wrath comes from wreath. Now, now, anger, bending. Now, watch this. Here is the fascinating little connection. Unresolved wrath or anger has a way of bending us or twisting us on the inside. That's where we get our phrase, bent out of shape. Now, watch this. From the word wrath and the word wreath came the old Anglo-Saxon word wraith. Who has seen Lord of the Rings? You guys remember this? The ring wraiths, right, who hunt Frodo down. What is a wraith? In Anglo-Saxon legend, a wraith is a restless spirit, a ghost who's haunted and doomed to relive the past over and over again. And their torment is that they're forever bound to stay in a place where something was done to them. They're haunted by it. They can't get over it. They can't stop reliving it. They can't stop thinking about it. That's what a wraith is, a spirit who's haunted by the past. See, if you're harboring a bitter root unresolved anger in your heart, if you don't come to terms with how deeply it has burrowed into your spirit, your wrath will twist you and turn you into a wraith. You will never be able to move into the future. For instance, if you've been hurt by an ex, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're bitter at your current spouse, I don't know, maybe they cheated on you, maybe they dumped you for a newer model, whatever the reason is. The idea is that unless you release them from their debt, Unless you forgive them from the heart, you will never get over it. You will be haunted by it, and it will twist and distort you, probably your view of the opposite sex. You will probably just, it'll be invisible, but it'll be right on the surface in your heart, and the minute something happens in your next relationship, something gets said, and insecurity gets touched, the scab gets picked again. Your wrath or your, or your, wrath or your anger will twist you into a wraith. The Anglo-Saxons actually knew what they were talking about, didn't they? Or maybe the, your parents are the source of your bitter root and your mom or dad, maybe your mom or dad bailed on you. Maybe they abandoned you um, and you're bitter about it. Or a relative abused you and, 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 and it's, it significantly, deeply impacted your life and you're bitter. The point is, until you address the root of your anger and admit how deeply that runs and how much it still controls you and pursue the forgiveness that Christ talks about here, it will inevitably affect your relationship with your kids, as a parent, 
It will likely affect your relationship with other authority figures. You get the idea? Payback left unaddressed. It grows like a weed and warps and twists us in a subterranean way, and it becomes a form of inner torment. That's what Jesus is getting at here in verse 34 of his parable, right? It says, in anger, his master did what? Let's read it together. Turned him over to the jailers to be what? Tortured until he should pay back all he owed. People oftentimes say, oh, I guess Jesus is talking about hell. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying unforgiveness is its own form of torture. It's its own prison. Bitterness literally becomes your prison because we say, that person hurt me and they're going to pay for it. Guess who really pays? You do. Some of you have been in a prison locked up for most of your adult life. Literally. Locked in a prison of bitterness. And your wrath will twist you into a wraith and you walk around an angry shell of yourself, bent out of shape, resenting others. No rest, no peace, reliving the past over and over so that the wound never ever heals. It's not a pretty picture, is it? That's why the first step in forgiveness is crucial. We decline the desire for payback and revenge. The second step Jesus highlights is this. We choose to cancel their debt. In other words, guys, don't minimize or downplay what's been done to you. Many of you have been hurt, and when we're hurt, a debt is incurred. That's the truth. And we're right to actually think, when we, when we think someone's got to pay for us, that's because our sense of justice has been violated. And that's natural, and that's true, and that's fitting. But notice, in Jesus' parable, who pays? What's it say in verse 27? It says, the servant's master took pity on him when what? Canceled the debt and let him go. In other words, the servant goes free, but who pays the debt out of his own pocket? The king. The master. And this is instructive for us. Because if we're going to rip up a bitter root for good in our life, we have to follow the way of the master and the true king here. Let's look at Ephesians again. It says what? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. In other words, the only way we can muster the strength to cancel the debt of someone in our life who's hurt us is to understand what it cost our master to cancel ours. We have no other way of doing this. What did it cost our king, our master Jesus, to forgive our debts? His life, literally. That's what Jesus paid with. He died on the cross paying for our sins. It's monetary language. He gave his life to cancel our debts and give us back our freedom. And when we receive his gift of forgiveness, we're, the Bible says you're no longer objects of wrath. In other words, we don't owe anything and we become spiritually free. But what did our freedom cost Jesus? Everything. He paid our debt with what? His flesh. There's a reason he was crucified. It is the same thing with you and me when we extend forgiveness to someone who really has wronged us. I mean, every time we step over the desire for revenge to cancel someone's debts, the reality is this, guys, we undergo a type of death. <laughs> You've had this experience. Let's say someone hurts or really offends you, and you write an email. You just shred them. <laughs> you CC your whole address book, and you just let them have it. And you're going to put it up on your blog, and everybody's going to see it. So I'm going to nail them. And you go to bed, and you wake up, and instead of hitting send, you hit delete. How does that feel? If you're like me, you're like, oh, man, something in us dies when we decline to take justice and payback in our own hands, that's called your flesh. It actually hurts us inside. You know what that is? That's a root being ripped up in your life. 
Or let's say the person who betrayed or abused you and, and got away with it, right? You, they told their side of the story. In fact, maybe they turned others against you. The truth has never been told. And you never got to set the record straight. And you've been hurting. Until one day, they make a mistake and they trip up. And they screw up. And everybody comes back to you. And you're presented with a chance to finally just run this person down and nail them and tell everybody what a good-for-nothing thing you knew that they were all along. And instead, you... Speak well of them. How does that feel? Ah, something else dies. It's called your flesh. And in a very real way, you are experiencing an ounce of the crucifixion and death to the flesh that Jesus died on the cross. We participate in his suffering in a very real way when we go through the steps of forgiveness on a very small scale. I mean, when the spear went through Jesus' side, and yet he prayed, what were his words? All of our campuses, Father, what? Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. On some level, when we cancel the debts of those who sin against us, we bear their sin in our body and suffer the way Christ suffered for us. And this is hard. But all throughout the Bible, guys, there is this this mysterious connection between divine forgiveness and human forgiveness. Remember, at the center of the Lord's Prayer is the plea, what? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. There's an old school theologian by the name of Charles Williams. He says those three words, as we also, are the three most terrifying words in the English language. Why? Because as we also, in other words, in God's mind, forgiveness is not a suggestion. Forgiveness is not an option. It's an expectation. He's like, as you also, don't you come talk to me about forgiveness until you have already forgiven. In other words, in Jesus' mind, there's a direct connection between vertical forgiveness with God and horizontal forgiveness with our brothers and sisters. If there's any doubt in Matthew here, Jesus says this. He says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will what? All our campuses will not forgive your sins. Why? Because he's stingy? No. Because if you can't forgive other sins, it shows you truly don't understand the magnitude of the price God paid to forgive yours. You don't understand at all what Jesus did. Christ literally had his body broken for your sins, and you can't offer an apology to your ex? That's the point of the parable. The master forgives the servant 10,000 talents. That's the equivalent of $2.5 billion in today's currency. You talk about a bailout. And literally, the servant, his friend owes a few bucks, and he begins choking him. Jesus' point, whatever debts are owed us pale in comparison to the forgiveness we've been given in Christ Jesus. When we've been wronged, When we've been forgiven a debt of our size, and yet we hold on to the the sins of others, we nurse grudges, we demand payback, we harbor resentment, we chew on the bitter root. You know what you call that kind of person? There's a word, an ingrate. In other words, incapable of gratitude. You have no idea what's been given to you. That's why in verse 32, the master calls a servant in and he says, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? When we fail to forgive somebody, we fail in the greatest way possible. 
we fail to show gratitude for the magnitude of what Christ has forgiven us. That's the point. Christ gave his literal life, but for her, never. You don't know what she did to me. I mean, thank you, Jesus, for that, but I could never forgive him for that. Really? In this parable, Jesus is like, who do you want to identify with? The angry ingrate who ends up locked in a prison of his own making like a fool, like a wraith? Or the generous and compassionate king? The the king's compassion reveals the third and final key to tearing up a bitter root. The first one is that we decline payback and revenge. Second, we choose to cancel their debt. And finally, Jesus says, we release the prisoner. I mean, what's the king's response here in verse 27? Look at this. Let's read it together. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and did what? Let him go. Mike Bro writes that forgiveness is literally letting go of the pain and the past and the resentment and you forgive in order to heal. You look at what God has done in response to your own sin. And then you actually ask for the strength to forgive in the same way. And you give up your right to get even. And you trust the justice of God. Even after you have to lean into God's grace and mercy to do this. And you guys need to get this. You need to know that forgiving is not forgetting. That is a total lie from the pit of hell. The world says that, well, you know, forgive and forget. No. Some of you have been hurt badly. And some of you have been mistreated and abused in ways you never deserved. And God hurts too. He's upset. Forgiveness is not about minimizing what's been done to you. Forgive and forget is not biblical or even healthy. Wounds leave what? Scars. Jesus says, look, look what I... Forgiveness doesn't pretend something never happened or just like a flip like, I forgive you. No. Verse 35 actually says, forgive one another from where? From the, from the heart. It's not lip service. What happened to you is not no big deal. It did matter. It was a big deal. You were wronged. But true forgiveness, as Christ says, the sin was wrong. It did matter. But I release you. Bro writes, it's not about forgetting what happened. It's about giving up your rights to get even for it. And in doing that, you align yourself with Jesus, with God's way of stopping the cycle of abuse, which enables you to actually start walking freely. I'm not saying it's easy, guys. Don't tune me out, please. Just, just track with me. I know some of you are you're resistant right now in your heart because these roots have been there. They're being exposed right now, and it hurts getting pulled up. It's not easy. Healing takes time. But the goal of forgiveness is freedom. And in a single moment, you can make a choice. I'm going to keep reliving the past and picking the wound and be the wraith, or I'm going to release. And I'm choosing to live freely. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's an act of the will, but it's not instantaneous. Healing is a process. It takes time. And depending, quite honestly, of the depth of the wound or hurt, you may need to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive again. On a daily basis, quite honestly. If you're going to rip up that root for good, I think that's why Jesus told this story. Do you, do you notice the question that Peter asked, which actually spurred Jesus to tell this parable? In verse 21, he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. This is kind of interesting here. Um, Jewish rabbis taught that people should forgive three times. Three was the magic number for them. So Peter's trying to be generous here. He's like, Jesus, I've been following you around and I, I, I'm starting to listen and, and I, I get it. Forgiveness is central to following you, so I'm going to double it. How about seven? Baker's dozen? 
What's Jesus' response? Verse 22, he answered, I tell you, not seven times, but what? Seventy-seven times. Or look in your footnote there, it says, or 70 times seven. And what's his point? You don't keep track. Forgiveness is a lifestyle. It's not a one-time event. It's a process. You, you, you don't count or you don't do the math when it comes to forgiveness. Although forgiveness is a choice, it's a way of life. And you may need to do this daily. Forgive and forgive and forgive again. Release the prisoner. Pray for their blessing. Seventy times what? Seven. It may be an ongoing process. And you know what? You may need to set boundaries. You may need to take very hard lines so you don't get abused again. Do not mishear that. But forgiveness from the heart? No limit. Why? Because it's the only way out of the prison. You have the key in your hand, but you have to release the prisoner. I've heard it said when we genuinely forgive, we set a prisoner free, and then we realize the prisoner we set free was us. You set two people free when you forgive. All of our campuses, I don't know what, um, who or what is at the root of your bitterness today. I don't know. But they don't just need you to release them. You need to be released too. You do. So you can move on. So you can live freely in the freedom that Christ gave his life so that you could live. And in one scary but courageous moment of God's grace, it literally is, God, Jesus, I don't know how to do this. I don't even have the desire to forgive. Maybe you don't have anything, but I am releasing them to you. And two prisoners are set free to a new future, no longer bound by bitterness, but free to be forgiven and forgiving. That's what my friend, who was betrayed by her fiancé, is learning. Last week, I received a second email from her on Facebook, and this is how God is ripping up the roots in her life for good. No matter what you've done or what's been done to you, God can make all things new. You don't have to be bound by bitterness. Literally, guys, you don't have to spend your life in a prison. There's more for you. Forgiveness in Christ is possible, and you can be set free. All of our campuses, I just want to, there are some of you today, just honestly, this is so awkward right now because you're feeling something burning inside. That's because there's a root of bitterness maybe in your heart that's been kind of unearthed. We're exposed. And we're not doing that to cause more pain, guys. It was invisible before, and maybe it was buried very deep, deeper than you even could ever acknowledge before. But today, God's truth is kind of bringing it to the surface. Maybe there is someone or something you, you, you haven't released yet. Maybe you are bitter at an ex. Maybe you are in a relationship. It's your spouse or whoever, and you can't forgive them, a family member, business partner. You feel like you can't forgive. Or maybe you are bitter at God. Bitter at the circumstances that he has allowed to happen in your life. I'm going to ask you all to take a brave step right now. Again, all of our campuses to literally ask God for the courage to deal with this today. I don't want to just pick this wound. I'm talking about actually asking God to give you the strength to step over the desire for payback. To cancel their debt and literally forgive them in Jesus' name. There is great power in Jesus' name and he alone can be trusted to give us his strength to do that. If that's you... You want God's courage to forgive, to the courage to do that from your heart. You can't do it yourself. Would you just raise your hand right now? All of our campuses, raise your hand. You say, I want courage to forgive. That is me. It's been burrowed in me, Tim. You're raising your hand at all of our campuses. Awesome. Amazing. You are not alone. You are not alone. 
And God can rip up this root for good. And, and, and maybe right now you're like, you're kind of like sore to me, but I don't have the strength, Tim. You don't, I don't have the strength to forgive him. You're right. You don't. That's why you need Jesus. Only one who literally gave his body to be broken to cancel our debts can be trusted to give us a supernatural strength to cancel the debts of our debtors. That's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Guys, um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to ask Jesus right now, all of our campuses, for the strength to forgive. We're going to pray together. Um, so let's actually do this. Let's, um, let's stand. Can we all stand? All of our campuses, everyone stand. If you're on internet campus, stand up. doesn't matter. Just stand up. And we're going to pray, okay, together. Let's bow our heads. I want to lead us kind of in a corporate prayer together. And we're going to pray this out loud in one big, very loud voice, okay? So you can just simply repeat after me. Let's pray together. Say after me, God, I have been sinned against. And I have sinned against you. My heart is wounded within me. And I want you to heal it. Jesus, rip up this bitter root for good. I give my heart to you. And ask you to forgive my sins. As I now forgive those who've sinned against me. All of our campuses, keep your heads bowed. Just take a moment right now to pray silently. Tell God their names. Release them to your Father. Ask Jesus to rip up that root for good and give you strength to forgive from your heart. Take this moment, holy moment, you pray between you and God right now. Father, all of these names and faces going up to you, Father, we are praying for release, Jesus. This is the heart of the gospel. That while we were sinners, you came to forgive us. And Father, it's not just that we're forgiven. Now we are forgiving. So Father, right now, all across our campuses, reach right into the hearts right now of the men and women who are standing up here. Father, we are saying, renovate our heart and give us supernatural strength to release them to you. Father, we pray for our enemies' blessings. We pray for reconciliation, Lord, where it's possible. We pray for restoration. We pray that you're going to free prisoners today. We pray that marriages are going to be mended and that families are going to be healed, God. And that would all be done in the name of your son, Jesus. It's in his name and by his strength, we pray. And everyone said together, amen.